Hello everyone, another day, another speech analysis episode, and welcome back to the Public Speaker Podcast. Today we are going over a speech that is called Five Challenges We Could Solve by Designing New Proteins by David Blake. Um, quick two takeaways I want to give, and then I will let um, you all decide if you <laughs> like the speech or enjoyed the analysis. Um, my takeaways on this are... Wow, that car outside was pretty loud. My takeaways on this are twofold, and I think they're sort of constructive pieces of criticism. The first is that I think the speaker needs to walk around more. So if you watch the video, there's just like a strong lack of pacing and lack of like dynamics with the crowd, which I thought was kind of not the best because he's talking about some important stuff and he's kind of just staying still and not doing too much movement. So from a delivery standpoint, I think movement would be a lot better. Get your crowd into it a lot more attractive. Get the presentation sort of going. Um, and second is, I think there's a lot of information that doesn't need to be there. Um, so a lot of, you know, STEM things that I've talked about, a lot of people who come from STEM and try to give speeches, very few of them actually articulate the stuff that needs to be said, and they fill us with boring information that we don't care about. And it's not that that information isn't important. It's just that the reason that you're in STEM and I'm not is because I don't care about that information, right? And it's, and it's not that I need to care about that information because all of that stuff is technical. And if you're in the field, then it makes sense. But if you're not, you want the big picture takeaway. So I think something he could have done, at least towards the beginning of the speech, is get rid of a lot of the fluff that didn't need to be there and just get to the main points. Um, and then finally, I, I think there needed to be a larger purpose. So I think at the end, he could have used a little bit more fear to motivate people to get to what he's talking about um, and maybe just attach a larger philosophical need to do what he's trying to say we have to do um, through like a metaphor or something that could have just been a little bit more impactful. Um, content of the speech was good. I liked what he was saying. I just think there could have been a couple more places where improvement was there and better. But this guy definitely knows what he's talking about. He's worked with proteins a lot. Um, so I hope you all enjoy the speech analysis. I'm going to tell you about the most amazing machines in the world and what we can now do with them. Proteins, some of which you see inside a cell here, carry out essentially all the important functions in our bodies. Proteins digest your food, contract your muscles, fire your neurons, and power your immune system. Everything that happens in biology, almost, happens because of proteins. Proteins are linear chains of building blocks called amino acids. Nature uses an alphabet of 20 amino acids, some of which have names you may have heard of. In this picture, for scale, each bump is an atom. Chemical forces between the amino acids cause these long stringy molecules to fold up into unique three-dimensional structures. The folding process, while it looks random, is in fact very precise. Each protein folds to its characteristic shape each time, and the folding process takes just a fraction of a second. And it's the shapes of proteins which enable them to carry out their remarkable biological functions. For so let's talk about a little bit of the introduction. Um, so I think this is a good introduction, nothing super crazy, nothing super fancy. Um, it, David kind of just straight up says, like, I'm gonna tell you about proteins today, uh, and then goes into talking about proteins. Uh, my worry for this speech, which hopefully doesn't happen, is that it becomes way too complex and technical and doesn't um, allow the simplification of a technical scientific field to be communicated in a way that is interesting to hear. Um, this is a larger problem with STEM and, and big tech and I think all and big data. Like I think all these things are amazing and useful, but the communication of a lot of this stuff fails a lot of times, right? Um, so from a communication standpoint, 
I don't want to say I'm bored of the stuff he's talked about, but I, but there does need to be a larger emphasis on making sure that whatever he's talking about is interesting enough to care about and listen to. So let's see where the speech goes. For example, hemoglobin has a shape in the lungs perfectly suited for binding a molecule of oxygen. When hemoglobin moves to your muscle, the shape changes slightly and the oxygen comes out. The shapes of proteins, and hence their remarkable functions, are completely specified by the sequence of amino acids in the protein chain. In this picture, each letter on top is an amino acid. Where do these sequences come from? The genes in your genome specify the amino acid sequences of your proteins. Each gene encodes the amino acid sequence of a single protein. The translation between these amino acid sequences and the structures and functions of proteins is known as the protein folding problem. It's a very hard problem because there's so many different shapes a protein can adopt. Because of this complexity, humans have only been able to harness the power of proteins by making very small changes to the amino acid sequences of the proteins we found in nature. This is similar to the process that our Stone Age ancestors used to make tools and other implements from the sticks and stones that we found in the world around us. I think this is a good analogy. So when he's talking about the fact that there are proteins that we don't really understand, but we're trying to manipulate them to help us in our day-to-day -day lives, it's similar to when we didn't have the modern world that we lived in. Um, in the Stone Age, people had to take whatever resources they found and create something out of them to help them survive. So I like this analogy in terms of um, what he's trying to say about the use of, of modern-day proteins. But humans did not learn to fly by modifying birds. <laughs> Instead, scientists inspired by birds uncovered the principles of aerodynamics. Engineers then used those principles to design custom flying machines. In a similar way, we've been working for a number of years to uncover the fundamental principles of protein folding and encoding those principles in a computer program called Rosetta. We've made a breakthrough in recent years. We can now design completely new proteins from scratch on the computer. Once we've designed the new protein, we encode its amino acid sequence in a synthetic gene. We have to make a synthetic gene because since the protein is completely new, there's no gene in any organism on Earth, which currently exists, that encodes it. Our advances in in uh, understanding protein folding and how to design proteins, coupled with the decreasing cost of gene synthesis and the Moore's law increase in computing power, now enable us to design tens of thousands of new proteins with new shapes and new functions on the computer encode, and encode each one of those is in a synthetic gene. Once we have those synthetic genes, we put them into bacteria to program to make them to make these brand new proteins. We can then extract the proteins and determine whether they function as we designed them to and whether they're safe. So I think one thing David could be doing here to be, make it a little bit better is walking around a little bit. I think um, given you're talking about something so technical and you're describing this like intricate process, um, there may not be a way to get out of dis the description of that intricate process through the use of terminology that is more common usage for people to uh, relate to and understand. 
But that means that if if that's not there, the trade-off can't be the body movement, right? I think there needs to be a larger amount of body movement of walking back and forth or like putting your hands out or just having better eye contact or obviously I'm not in the audience so I can't really see the eye contact, but at least from someone watching it on a video, uh, I think he would be better suited to like go around the stage that he has, right? To really get to all parts of the audience while he's saying the technical terms um, to try to relate to as many of them as they can. Um, because this is some complex stuff that he's talking about and it's not like it's not understandable and like there isn't a way to like grasp what he's saying it like obviously if you're listening into attentively you can it's just a question of like are you attentively listening i don't know if that word made sense but like is your attention there um so let's see where the speech goes from here it's exciting to be able to make new proteins because despite the diversity in nature evolution has only sampled a tiny fraction of the total number of proteins possible I told you that nature uses an alphabet of 20 amino acids, and a typical protein is a, is a chain of about 100 amino acids. So the total number of possibilities is 20 times 20 times 20, 100 times, which is a number on the order of 10 to the 130th power, which is enormously more than the total number of proteins which have existed since life on Earth began. And it's this unimaginably large space we can now explore using computational protein design. Now, the proteins that exist on Earth evolved to solve the problems faced by natural evolution. For example, replicating the genome. But we face new challenges today. We live longer, so new diseases are important. We're heating up and polluting the planet, so we face a whole host of ecological challenges. If we had a million years to wait, new proteins might evolve to solve those challenges. But we don't have millions of years to wait. Instead, with computational protein design, we can design new, new proteins to address these challenges today. Our audacious idea is to bring biology out of the Stone Age through technological revolution in protein design. So I think this is a good purpose of the speech as well, right? So his entire message in the speech is like, look, we have a lot of problems, we need to solve them, and the way to solve them is to be able to infuse technology um, with biology and like really bring biology to embrace the technological changes that are occurring. So from a public speaking standpoint, this is the point of the speech where we're getting closer to the solution, right? We have, we have the problem, we realize we, have, we need to solve a bunch of uh, diseases and ecological issues. The question is how can we use the current modern technology world to um, propel us into that uh, ultimate realm. We've already shown that we can design new proteins with new shapes and functions. For example, vaccines work by stimulating your immune system to make a strong re response against a pathogen. To make better vaccines, we've designed protein particles to which we can fuse proteins from pathogens, like this blue protein here from the respiratory virus RSV to make vaccine candidates that are literally bristling with the viral protein. We find that such vaccine candidates produce a much stronger immune response to the virus than any previous vaccines that have been tested. This is important because RSV is currently one of the leading causes of infant mortality worldwide. We've also designed new proteins to break down gluten in your stomach for celiac disease and other proteins to stimulate your immune system to fight cancer. These advances are the beginning of the protein design revolution.
We've been inspired by a previous technological revolution, the digital revolution, which took place in large part due to uh, advances in one place, Bell Laboratories. Bell Labs was a place with an open collaborative environment and was able to attract top talent from around the world. And this led to a remarkable string of innovations, the transistor, the laser, satellite communication, and the foundations of the internet. Our goal is to build the Bell Laboratories of protein design. We are seeking to attract talented scientists from around the world to accelerate the protein design revolution. And we'll be focusing on five grand challenges. First. Okay, um, so we've gotten to the last two minutes of the speech and now we're hearing about the five challenges we could solve by designing new proteins. So, I mean, I don't know, I guess I'm a little bit conflicted about this. I think that these should have been incorporated throughout the presentation if I was coaching this. So I would have said like, introduce the first challenge, like all this technical analysis should be weaved in as um, arguments under these five things that you could solve. And like, these five things could be the larger umbrellas that will allow that will facilitate more arguments to be discussed under them. And then you transition from one to two to three to four to five, and then you end your speech. But what David has chose to do is like present all of this stuff in the beginning for the first eight minutes and in the last two minutes talk about the five grand challenges. I think that's fine, but it does risk the audience not caring about the first eight minutes because like like realistically a lot of the technical st stuff he said is just not, it doesn't matter, right? Like especially for some, like I need to know what I take away from the speech and half the stuff he said about amino acids and stuff, I, I, I don't even remember. And I'm being honest, it's not being harsh, it's being honest. I'm pretty sure people listening also are not gonna memorize or understand everything he said. That's because you don't need to, right? If you're in that industry, then it matters. If you're working on it day in and day out, it matters. But if you're not, then like, it's just kind of taking up some brain space and I don't know if it's gonna be that useful. So that's the one thing about STEM speeches and communication is like a lot of the technical information for the masses doesn't matter, right? Like the Pythagorean theorem for the masses matter, right? But like all of the proofs to know why the Pythagorean theorem is the way it is probably doesn't really matter that much. It's, it's not that useful. So I think it's a question of just like how much of that analysis do we really need versus how much of that could have been turned into more analogies like the like the caveman stuff could be turned into more um, philosophical principles that actually allow the technical stuff to stick with you because there's a level of like creative mixed with the level of stem um, and how much of it could have been avoided and introduced the five grand challenges weaving in itself um, throughout the talk itself so let's see how he finishes up the last two minutes and uh, then we'll conclude from there fighting proteins from flu strains from around the world and putting them on top of the design protein particles I just I showed you earlier, we aim to make a universal flu vaccine, one shot of which gives a lifetime of protection against the flu. The ability to design... Yeah. The ability to design new vaccines on the computer is important both to uh, protect against natural flu epidemics, and in addition, intentional acts of bioterrorism. Second, we're going far beyond nature's limited alphabet of just 20 amino acids to design new therapeutic candidates for conditions such as chronic pain using an alphabet of thousands of amino acids. Third, we're building advanced delivery vehicles to target existing medications exactly where they need to go in the body. 
For example, chemotherapy to a tumor or gene therapies to the tissue where gene repair needs to take place. Fourth, we're designing smart therapeutics that can do calculations within the body and go far beyond current medicines, which are really blunt instruments. For example, to target a small subset of immune cells responsible for an autoimmune disorder and distinguish them from the vast majority of healthy immune cells. Finally, inspired by remarkable biological materials such as silk, abalone shell, tooth, and others, we're designing new protein-based materials to address challenges in energy and ecological issues. To do all this, we're growing our institute. We're, we seek to attract energetic, talented, and diverse scientists from around the world at all career stages to join us. You can also participate in the protein design revolution through our online folding game, folding and design game, Fold It, and through our distributed computing project, Rosetta at Home, which you can join from your laptop or your Android smartphone. Making the world a better place through protein design is my life's work. I'm so excited about what we can do together. I hope you'll join us, and thank you. Okay, so that was five challenges we could solve by designing new proteins. Um, so it seems like the ending of this speech was kind of like running through those five problems we could solve, and I think that's totally fine. Um, I think maybe one thing I would have done is like start off the speech was like, what if we could have a, a vaccine that could stop every single disease in the world, right? And sort of make, and like ask these larger five questions and then answer them via the technical analysis. That's the structure I was thinking of towards the end of the speech that could have really made the speech a little bit more impactful. Because um, then I think it would have weaved in a lot of the stuff and you could fit in just a little bit more analysis there that gets it ready to go. Um, and then the ending, right, it's just like help making the world better through proteins is my life mission. I think that's fine, but it's kind of still individualistic, right? It's about you. It, it, it doesn't speak to a larger, broader point about why we need to make the world better through proteins or how uh, making the world better through proteins can attach to a macro level philosophical message about um, the nature of the existential problems that we that we have that exist right there's i think there should be more fear that's brought into this speech more persuasive elements that get people to actually be afraid of some of the stuff that's going on versus just describing the solution problem and then saying the solution um so yeah i think the biggest takeaway from this is structure i would have structured this speech differently again like you know it, it it's subjective to the individual but from my perspective i think two main takeaways structure of the speech to make it a little bit more dynamic and interesting um which would help remedy the sort of like STEM miscommunication stuff about just like a lot of the stuff not being important and incorporating the stuff that is important. And then third, um, walking around and using a little bit more passion in your voice and using the stage a little bit more. I think those are two key takeaways. But outside of that, I thought the content was pretty amazing, really good speech. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed it. I hope you enjoy the speech analysis. Leave a comment for a speech you'd like me to review and I'll see you in the next video.